Well, it's a beautiful day here in Middle Tennessee. I'm putting some leaves on my garden, getting ready for next spring. It's uh, it's really the good life. I'll tell you what, if uh, if this is uh, what heaven was like, I, I'd be happy for all eternity. It just really doesn't get any better than this. But I know some of you out there, uh, you're not living in heaven, you're living in hell. and. I'm not naive. I know that I've, I've spent nearly 3,000 hours in prisons counseling with people, and I know that there's a lot of pain and a lot of misery in life. And uh, and a lot. some of you are afraid of hell. I know you are. And you wonder why. I wonder why why God would create hell. I think I'll talk to you about that. I'm going to go go in the house and sit down behind the computer after I change shirts and and comb my hair, and, and I'm gonna tell you why there's a hell. Uh, show you from scripture and reason, okay? All right, we're dealing with a subject today that I detest. Why did God create hell? I take I take issue with God about hell. Uh, I know he's right. I, I know from the scriptures that the God of all the earth does justly. But if he made me a member or made me a member now of a committee to pass sentence on sinners, I don't believe I'd send anybody to hell. Now, I know I'm wrong, but I don't know why I'm wrong. I only thing I can say is God's a lot smarter than I am. We're going to come back to that. But first, I want to look at some scripture on why did God create hell. We're going to look at the nature of hell first. Now, you know, I've only spoken on this, I think, twice in my 60 years of speaking the Word of God uh, because I don't like the subject. All right, here, here's the scripture, Isaiah 14, 9. By the way, the word hell appears in the Bible 54 times. You see them listed right here. So it's not a subject that's seldom mentioned. In fact, it is more talked about than heaven is. So if I'm going to believe the Bible and believe the God who wrote the Bible, if I'm going to believe in heaven, if I'm going to believe in light, I must believe in darkness. If I'm going to believe in up, i got to believe in down. Again, i got to believe in out. Good, i got to believe in evil. Reward, I've got to believe in judgment. It makes sense. It just psychologically is difficult. Hell from beneath is moved for thee. Hell is beneath stirreth up the dead so that the dead are still conscious in hell. Brought down to the grave, the worms spread unto thee and the worms cover thee. Jesus said hell is a place where their worm dieth not. I suspect that the body is burned up to the degree that all is left is the worm of the soul some essence of the being that never can perish. Uh, so the worms cover Lucifer in hell. 
yet thou shalt be brought down to hell through the sides of the pit. Hell is a pit. It's called a bottomless pit in the Bible. It's called a lake of fire. It's called outer darkness. It's called down. It's in a shaft. It's down in the earth. There's a doorway to it. There's gates. There's access. People descend down into it, and they are preserved right now in graves embedded in the sides of the pit. Picture a horror movie of a dark, endless-looking shaft, and embedded in the sides of it are little holes, little burying places, with the dam stuck in those holes, and the sulfurous gases coming up through there, and they're there waiting for the day of judgment. Some of them have been waiting there 6,000 years. Um, there's angels tied up down there too, fallen angels, chained up, screeching and screaming. Ah, I don't like this. The Puritans used to preach on it a lot. Ezekiel 31, 15, he went down to the grave made the nation shake the sound of his fall when I cast him down to hell with them that descend into the pit. Nether parts of the earth, nether, down in the recesses, down into hell with them that be slain with the sword. Nether parts of the earth. Though they dig into hell, Thence shall my hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. So if heaven is up, according to scriptures, hell is down into the nether parts of the earth, into a lake of fire. How could you have a bottomless pit, a lake of fire, fire and darkness at the same time? If you descended in, if the earth had a shaft all the way through it, a hole went right through it, and the middle of it is molten lava, then you'd have a bottomless pit in that anything descending into the pit would descend till it reached the neutral place of gravity in the middle. And there it would float or gyrate, never reaching the bottom, for there is no bottom in that pit. Two, two ways down and no bottom. And it's a lake of fire because it is molten. And it's outer darkness because there's no oxygen to make light. So you have a totally dark lake of fire in a pit with no bottom. It's physically, it makes perfect sense. Though they dig into hell, since will my hand take them. All right. Hell is eternal fire. I know there are denominations that, and I wish I could be there. Show me, prove it to me that hell is not eternal, that it's just poof and you're gone. I'd love that. I, I'd, I'd enjoy preaching that better. I, uh, I prefer it. But being a Bible believer, I'm stuck with believing something that I don't agree with. And if thy foot offend thee, Jesus said, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life let her halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. That's how serious Jesus was about it. He said, if your eye offends you in another place, pluck it out. If that's what keeps you from going to heaven, 
And if that's what would cause you to go to hell, your lustful eyes looking at child pornography, he said, tear your eyes out. It's better to have no eyes and enter into the kingdom than to have two eyes to be cast into hellfire. What a horrible picture. Now here's a, here's a story Jesus told. Now Jesus tells parables, but there never are names for individuals in parables. This is a true story, not just a parable. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar, certain beggar, he's speaking of real events, he's a news reporter here, named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. L.A., San Francisco. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. I won't go into it here, but Abraham's bosom is was at that time down in the shaft going to hell. It was an air-conditioned large compartment on the side with life-giving sustenance, a place of paradise. Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and he seeth Abraham afar off way off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, this rich man that was kind enough to throw a few scraps to Lazarus as he passed, but who didn't love God, didn't worship God, he worshiped his wealth. Now, he thought himself pretty righteous because of his philanthropic efforts. But here he is sometime after dying. He's conscious in hell, tormented in flames. And Abraham said to him, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted and thou art tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. That's that open shaft leading down into the bottomless, leading down into the lake of fire. All around were those damned embedded in the sides. And then here was this open, large cavern of the Old Testament righteous redeemed. There's a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot. There were people on that side, the redeemed side, the righteous side, the saved side who would have crossed over and given a drop of water, a bucket of water, a shower of water to those people on the other side. They would have brought life-giving sustenance and food. They would have gone and sat in hell with them and comfort them, such as the heart of a believer. But they couldn't go there. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place. It's a place. It's not a concept. It's not a theory. Not an emotional state. It's a place of torment, a conscious place after death. He has five brethren. He's become an evangelist. He's now praying for his five brothers to not make the mistake he did. He's quite confident they all are making that mistake. Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures. 
They've got them. They know them. They were Jews living in that land. They went to synagogue. Uh, they were probably celebrated as rich, righteous Jews. Probably kept the law on its outside, kept the feast days, holy days, gave sacrifices. He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. It's interesting that this man in hell knew that what his brothers needed were to repent. Now, repent is not stop your sinning. Repent is change your mind about God, about the importance of God, about the relevance of God in your life. Repent is to allow God to be first and foremost. It's to, it's to take the center of your life and move it from self, sin, and worldliness to the Lord Jesus Christ and love him and worship him and honor him. That's what it means to repent. I've got a book on that. You can read it. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You know, I'm confident that if they found Noah's ark with his journal and excrement from all the animals of the world, plus some we don't have now, and they found the bedrooms, uh, four bedrooms, uh, and perfect what you'd expect Noah's ark to be if they found it with uh, calendars dating and uh, ancient history of people that are described in the Bible. And it was verified by carbon-14 other means of dating. Very, very few, if any, would be persuaded. People who have heard the scriptures and know them, the people who have heard about the Lord Jesus Christ and chose not to seek him, would not be moved. Now, it's a bottomless pit and it's a second death. So that means there's two deaths. The second death is eternal. It's a lake of fire and brimstone, tormented day and night forever and ever. The sea gave up the dead in the day of judgment, which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead, which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. The people who die in the sea and are eaten by the animals and their bodies decay and become part of a coral reef or algae. The sea is going to deliver up their dead bodies. It's going to come back together every single cell. And just exactly who they were, what they were when they died, they will come back and stand before God in that form. So I don't understand that. You believe all kinds of science fiction stuff and imagine it. Imagine that. God knows where every single atom of those sailors who died in 1500 or 1000, he knows where those atoms are. He will reconstitute them. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, I said I don't believe I don't believe I could send anybody to hell. Uh, there's been times in my life when I wanted to. When I caught, when I came upon a woman that had 
a man had attempted to rape her and had cut her throat from pretty much ear to ear. Esophagus was totally severed. Blood was spurting out like a size of a pencil. He heard me coming and he cut her throat and fled. She didn't know him. He, 18-year-old sweet little girl, he put a knife to her throat, got her in a car at a shopping center full of people, drove out into a wilderness area. I was there fishing and I came up on her standing with blood running down and I thought she had on a red jumpsuit and it was just blood, neck to the feet. I was able to get her out in time, get her to the hospital, barely to save her life. But on the way to the hospital, I asked her what he looked like, what his age was, what car he was driving, her car, because I wanted to catch him and kill him. I had a 38 on me, two throwing tomahawks, two, no, two throwing knives, one throwing tomahawk, a buck skinning knife, and a three foot long Guatemala machete. And I was of a mind to have used every one of them on him and sent him to hell. I'd have felt gratified that day to put him into hell. I read about people molesting children, stealing a child out of a yard, four-year-old child, carrying that child off and selling her for $8,000, $20,000, where men come in and do all kinds of horrible things and eventually kill the child. Right now, if I knew where there was a den of those pedophile, pedophile perverts, I could very easily walk in and shoot every one of them right in the head, blow their brains out, and send them to hell. Uh, there have been other times in my life, I came from a rough area, where I wanted to send people to hell, and you have too. You've read articles, and every single one of you, the most liberal among you, have wanted to see somebody in hell. It's in our nature to do so. Why? Because it's just. But if today I was in prison and I came across that guy who did that, I wouldn't kill him. I would speak kindly to him and try to persuade him to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because my, my passions have cooled. And if God were to point me to be the... Uh, on the committee to recommend sentencing for the damned and Hitler comes up eternal suffering forever and ever in fire I could make people disappear like Hitler just ceased to exist that'd be easy I'd like to do that uh, there's lots of people I'd like to make just disappear cease to exist but to put them in a place of burning forever and ever I couldn't do that to my worst enemy. Uh, so let's skip down. Why then, why then does God do it? Why did God create hell? The scriptures say, Matthew 25, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. God did not make hell for humans. He made hell for the devil and his angels. They sinned before the humans did. Lucifer lived on this planet, and uh, I've got a book on that. Uh, what's the name of that book I've got on that subject? The Gap Facts. The Gap Fact, yes, an out-of-whack creation scientism. 
Lucifer was on the planet and sinned before we did. And God created hell for the devil and his angels. Now, let's be, let's reason together. I'm, I'm trying to understand eternal damnation. When God created us, he breathed into us the breath of life and we became living souls. The Bible says we're created in the image of God. If I'm in God's image, then I am, in essence, part of God. And there's something in me, there's a spirit in me, there's a life in me, a soul, that's going to exist forever. God can't kill himself. He can't terminate his own existence. And God can't terminate my existence. He made me eternal, made me special. And I'm going to live somewhere forever and ever. I can't be extinguished. That being the case, let's say that you and I were on the committee to decide who in Judgment Day. All right, Hitler comes up and we, we, we say, well, I just couldn't do it. My heart, you know, I couldn't do it. I feel bad. Maybe the reason we can't do that is because if there's one person in the world I condemn to hell, I condemn myself. Because if there's a place where people who sin go, I've sinned, and I should go there too. So that may be psychologically one of the reasons I have trouble with sending someone to hell. Maybe it's too personally indicting. You say, well, you haven't done what Hitler's done. No, there's lots of things I hadn't done that other people have done that I've wanted to kill. But I've done things, and I've thought things, and I've been the person that's unworthy of God's presence in heaven. And I think you have too. And so, are we going to make just bad sinners go to hell and good sinners go to heaven? It doesn't work that way. Uh, in heaven, in heaven, there's going to be child molesters, rapists, murderers, people committed genocide. There's going to be thieves, liars, con men, even some politicians. There's going to be all strata of sinful people in heaven who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and were forgiven. So hell is not just for bad people. It's for people who've rejected God in his program. It's for people who've rejected the very concept of God in heaven and an eternal place of righteousness and, and pleasure. It's people who've, whose life center was something other than God and in heaven, their center wouldn't be God. So let's say we let Hitler into heaven. Come on in. I know you'll have a change of mind now. Hitler looks at me and he says, what's your last name? I say, Pearl. He said, are you a Jew? And I said, well, my ancestors were. Um, I trust the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I hope I don't have a live in the same neighborhood you do. And I said, well, I, I, shouldn't, I couldn't send him to hell. And then I find out he's got a bunch of people together and they've created swastikas and they're seeking to take over a little part of heaven's community and shut the Jews out. Uh, we let the child molesters in. We let them all in. The unrepentant child molesters. Do we let our children go to the playground in heaven? Do we let them 
out of the house? Or do we guard them like we do now? If you go to a shopping place and you don't have the hand of your child or in your basket, you're being very risky. If you turn your back when you're getting out of a vehicle with two or three kids standing there, people walking by, mother, you're risking your child being snatched away. I'm not blaming you. It's the world we live in. And I know some of you feel that. So what would it be like to let all those child molesters into heaven? What would it be like to let all of the wicked, evil, godless people who do not want to cooperate with God into heaven? Now, if I couldn't send them to hell, that was my job, and I let them into heaven, then heaven would become another hell. It would become another earth. It would become another place that everybody wanted to escape from, and we'd start singing songs about how we can get out of heaven and go somewhere else where there's peace and holiness forevermore. We'd, we'd wonder if God was sovereign, if in control, if he cared, why are you leaving these circumstances existing for all eternity? Can't you separate the people of the world into two different groups? Those that love you and want to cooperate with you and those that don't? I think eventually we'd create hell ourselves. I think eventually we'd say, we've got to have a place to isolate, to send these people. So it says in Hebrews 9, 27, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. I'm 75 years old. I never thought I'd live to be this old. I've had two heart attacks, two strokes. Uh, some other diseases, been on the edge of death several times, some near deathly accidents, broken bones and metal plates and all kinds of things. Lived with heart pain. And so I never thought I'd live to be 75. Thankful to God and my wife who feeds me vitamins and minerals and makes me abstain from things I shouldn't eat. I have lived to be 75, but I probably won't live to be 80. I'm shooting for 100, but I probably won't live to be 80. So I'm getting very close to the end. It's a point where the man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. I'm going to be in judgment, and you are too. That's, there's no escaping that fact. It's coming. Even if you're 17 years old, the day will come. You will be in judgment. Now, Ecclesiastes 12:14 says, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Picture, the Bible said the books will be opened. Another book will be opened, which is the book of life, and the dead will be judged out of those things written in the books. Picture God in the day of judgment opening up Google, going behind the scenes and saying, answer for this. Now, if Google knows everything about you, what does God know? He's keeping books. He's keeping records. He knows where you, you know, your telephone tells Google where you go. They, they tracing you everywhere you go. They know. They know where you shop. They know all about you. They sell you stuff based on that information. Uh, they've blended it with the YouTube and, uh, and Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and whoever else. Uh, your TV programming. They know how many people are watching the TV. They know your address. They know what you've watched. Every single thing you've done, bought, written online, it's all put together in an algorithm 
to determine what you'll buy and what you want and who you are. God could judge the world, modern world, based on nothing but the information that the media holds. But every single work will be brought into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So I find the concept of hell objectionable and God finds hell objectionable. So here's what he says. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. He's talking to his own people who killed prophets. He said, How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under wings, and you would not. The day of judgment, God will say, I would have forgiven you, but you would not. I would have taken you in with all your sins, but you would not. I would have overlooked everything you've done and made you my child and erased your record, but you would not. You waited. You put it off. Have you ever seen a hen gather chickens? You got a little a dozen little chickens running around, hens out there. You walk out and she's alarmed. She makes a little noise. And the ch little chicks run over and she grabs her wings and she stucks them all back up underneath her like that and huddles down and protects her little chickens. Would you like to have God love you like that? Protect you like that? Stand by you like that? Then you need to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment, the Bible says. Then finally, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God, is, God didn't will that you perish. I don't take any pleasure in hell, and I know God doesn't either. And he doesn't want you to perish. I don't want you to perish. If you perish, it's your fault. It's because like the rich man and his five brethren, you didn't repent. You knew you should have. You knew that you're walking in paths of darkness, but you loved your sin rather than loving God. Repentance is walking your life without God and then turning around and walking your life with God. That's repentance. It's taking the Lord Jesus Christ at his word that when he died on the cross, he paid the price for your sins, the punishment that should have fallen on you. Take this as a, uh, well, here's a knife. Take this knife here. The punishment that should have fallen on you because of your sin, that punishment instead fell on the Lord Jesus Christ in your place. He died so you could live. He took your place so you can take his in heaven. He took your sin so you can take his righteousness. Uh, I have online free some Romans teaching, uh, audio, and also have some video, uh, very, uh, very, got animation, it's very, very easy to follow, on the book of Romans. Get that, and look especially, you need to go through the whole thing, but when you get down to chapter 4 and 5, you'll get a very th thorough, clear explanation on what Jesus Christ did for you. It's free, it's free online. So uh, if you'd like your own copy, you can, you can order it from No Greater Joy, but get the free if you can. And look at that, and you will find 
that God is standing with open arms ready to receive you, to keep you out of hell. Why did God create hell? Created for the devil and his angels because it's the only course of action that's possible if he's going to one day separate sinners from those who love him, from the saints. Okay, that's a subject I'll probably never do again in my life. I hope that's it.